Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to Strategy Cafe. Uh, real pleasure to see so many new listeners joining us this morning. So wherever you are, uh, we um, hope you have a great day. Uh, my name is Nick Mayhew, Managing Director at Olympic Strategy. We help um, business leaders of all sorts address their challenges more effectively, uh, including leading themselves, leading their teams, uh, supporting them to transform their organizations. So do get in touch if you're interested to hear how we might support you with your leadership. You can always email me at nick.mayhew at alembicstrategy.com or feel free to uh, connect with us on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I think we're at Alembic Strategy on Twitter. The Strategy Cafe's uh, free magazine. Um, it's on most months and it's a chance for you to hear from successful leaders over a 30-minute show and gain insights that you can use. We've got copies of all the past episodes on the past events part of our website. It's at www.alembicstrategy.com. And uh, we're going to be shortly putting uh, a YouTube site up with notes from our team, um, audio files of leader insights, uh, and animations, and um, more of that to come. So that's your quick intro to us. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to be interviewing Nick Easter. Uh, he can introduce himself, or needs no introduction, I'm sure. Uh, and then we're going to be chatting about um, um, performance at the highest level for about 20 minutes or so. And then there will be time for some key points to summarize from me and from questions. So if you're logged in, uh, you'll be in silent mode. If you look at the control panel, you'll see there's a questions area. Nick has very kindly agreed to hang around a little at the end to answer questions, and we've got a couple through already. but Post your questions up there in the question area and we'll keep an eye on those and field them to Nick uh, as the webinar progresses. Um, so, um, welcome. Uh, we're delighted to have you on the Strategy Cafe, Nick. Um, um, maybe uh, just say hi to everybody and introduce yourself. Hello everyone. Um, well, my name is Nick Easter, as Nick's um, already mentioned and you can see up on the slides. Uh, a little bit jealous. I don't have a cup of coffee um, in in front of me as as uh, the first slide showed. So that's got the uh, taste buds wetted. Uh, I had a professional rugby career of fifteen years, um, club wise at Harlequins in, and internationally with England. <coughs> uh, Fifty four caps for England, capturing my country on three occasions and two hundred eighty one appearances for Harlequins over that period. Um, I feel very, very privileged and very lucky um, to have the career I had. I actually managed to retire on my own terms, not through injury, um, which is something that professional rugby players aren't always lucky enough to do. And, you know, I clearly have a massive passion for the game. I do have a massive passion for the game and want to be involved in the contest. Um, I was offered the role of defence coach at Harlequins um, in my, during the end of my last season. Um, working with a senior squad, which is something that um, I earmarked uh, to do in, in retirement or after retiring. And are now on the other side of the fence and seeing things from a slightly different perspective, but still part of the contest, as I say, and still involves. Obviously, it's not the same as playing, but um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it and loving every single minute at the moment. It's uh, uh, really cool to get the opportunity to sort of uh, move over into coaching, uh, I think, as you uh, transition your career forward. So I, I, I really enjoyed meeting you. We met up at the cricket, uh, the England-West Indies game, 
and um, 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 I, we were chatting about um, performance measures. I was kind of quite interested in how you, you know, the stats, match stats, and how you measure performance of individual players. And I guess the business context here is it's a major bugbear of mine. Um, the way businesses that um, we work with handle their measures, and um, I would say it's pretty rare to find a client with capable and helpful measures. And I thought what you were saying about how you measure an international premiership rugby was really interesting. So I guess I mean I guess I mean, before we get on to measures, and we've got some of your Quinn's defence coaching measures later, which is kind of quite interesting to look at. But just um, you know, what's the you know what's the main focus point um, when you're coaching at the highest levels? Well, at the highest levels, very different to coaching um, kids and at junior levels because you've got to find a balance of getting the organisation right um, and the individual technical work on. And I think the, the balance certainly goes more towards the organisational side, making sure the systems are in place, um, people are absolutely clear of what their role is uh, within the team. I mean, look, there's 15 guys on the field, you know. It's a wonderful sport to coach rugby, very multi-layered, very different athletes in different positions, but everyone at some stage is going to have to perform um, a technical role, but within the team um, dynamic, and uh, it's about getting that balance right every week, maximising the grass time, you don't want to be out there too long, because um, you want to make sure they're mentally and physically fresh, and I guess the two things that I've learned in my first year of coaching, it's got to be clarity before you go out and perform every weekend in terms of what the game plan is amongst everyone involved um, for that match and the motivational side which I suppose comes from much more within the player individually but uh, certainly as a coach you can probably help poke the bear a little bit um, if some are slacking. I thought this uh, comment that we've got up on the slide here was really interesting because I guess people spend quite a lot of time looking up and thinking about uh, whether you know what, what's, what's the outcome going to be and that can kind of trigger you emotionally Yes, exactly. I mean, that, this is a huge thing in sports, isn't it? And it's sort of a, and not a newfangled thing now because it's been around for a while with sports psychologists and things like that coming in. But, it, but mental fitness is just as important as physical fitness. And it's a massive um, part of the game and sports and, and in life and any job really is being able to deal with pressure. And so, that, you know, it's about concentrating on the process and not the outcomes. You know, if a goal kick is going up the kick, for example, you can't be concentrating on, oh, I hope this goes over or he can visualise it going over, but he's got to get the, the moving parts um, leading into the kick absolutely correct. And he would have practised that a number of times, which is important. It's also important that you practise correctly, and which we'll come on to in a bit. Um, and it's concentrating on the process, not what's going on in the game. So you might have conceded two tries, might be under a little bit of pressure, and the amount of times you see players um, with good willing trying to take on the world and trying to create something and actually what happens is you just compound error after error after error instead of sticking to the game plan and just upping the intensity a little bit more if that's required but you've got to stick to the game plan and throughout sport individual and team wise you can see that um, all, all across the board you know any golfers listening to this will know that they're try, probably trying to force it probably try and go for the hole um, if they feel they're a little bit behind or they dropped a shot in the previous hole and actually their whole thought process throughout that round might have gone right. Make sure you get it in the safe part of the green. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Sorry to cut across you. I guess you. Um, I mean, uh, given given that you captained England, uh, you've probably had this. You've probably felt like you're on the back foot and starting to feel a bit of emotional pressure. 
Um, how, how have you how have you dealt with them? Yeah, well, senior players are absolutely integral. Integral. Um, this is another thing I've learned from coaching is is you've got to have them as your sort of confidence in terms of getting the message to the players on board. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that perform on the weekend. They're your best players. They're the ones that have to execute the strategy. They're the ones that have to make the decisions and perform under pressure when the opposition is obviously clearly trying to stop them. And again, it's about getting that buy-in and making sure there's one voice. You get the group in. Whatever's going, whether it's going good, bad, or indifferent, you get the group in at certain stages within the game. We like to do it every 10 minutes. Right, what's going well, what isn't going well, what do we need to do for the next 10 minutes? And have a clear, clear focus. And in an ideal world, just one message for the entire group. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So we were talking earlier on about, uh, you know, the uh, balance between um, the individual and the and the team. I thought that was quite sort of an interesting training point. I love this. This is uh, the quote that you gave me. Um, uh, up on the screen now, and we were kind of chatting about it earlier on about this, the specialist. But um, what I was hearing for you from you was in the in the senior squads, you've got people who are already really well trained. I'm going to come back and talk about if you're trained in the wrong way and your neural habits, your mental habits are wrong and it needs to be fixed towards the end of the webinar. But just to this point, I'm thinking, um, you know, they the uh, people coming into your organisation have already got or should have that grounding at exceptional personal skill level. And actually most of what you were saying to me is most of the training that you're doing is around is around the organizational skills. Uh, is that right? And just tell us why. Why is that the case? Well it comes back to what I was saying before is yeah, if we do things together, um, we're going to be a lot more effective than doing things as individuals and you're out on the field, there's a guy to your left, a guy to your right, whether it be an attack and defence, and if you don't have that trust or that guy goes off page, then it, it puts your performance, what you do in jeopardy, and you're clearly not going to be able to um, know, you're not going to know what you're doing in that, in that specific moment, and it puts your team in trouble, so, you know, as we say, individually, you know, you're invisible, together we're invincible, and um, in a game that requires 15 guys on page um, in a match, Throughout my time, I know that, that works. I thought it was really interesting the way you're saying. You know, you've got your specialist players, so they'll go off and do practicing their, their you know, the, the line throws or the kicks or whatever it might be. Uh, so they'll have their, their pitch time for that. But actually, what you want, um, even the specialists have to cover other people's um, positions uh, during the match because there's, you know, there's a degree of attrition, uh, and the game is unfolding at pace. So they've got their job to do, but they've got to also be able to cover everybody else's job and kind of know. Um, you know what the uh, what the the system is, what system and the process is going to be. Yeah, that's um, you know that's an extra responsibility, isn't it? About knowing your job and doing your job when you've got to concentrate on what you, your role is first and foremost. But given the attritional level of the game, as you mentioned, with the amount of injuries, especially that occur in this season, you you are asked to cover other other positions. You know, when substitutes come on, um, and you see. So if you understand what you're trying to do as a team and you get the picture and you buy into it, it makes that a hell of a lot easier than just looking at it from an individual perspective. Yeah. So um, um, maybe let's get on to this uh, idea of measuring. So do you want to just talk us through how you guys, you know, you've got, so I think you've got your attack coach and you've got your defense coach and there's maybe other coaches around. So just give us a bit of insight into the Quinn's coaching team and how you guys put together your performance measures 
and then we're going to show everybody some of those measures. So you've got quite a unique opportunity here. You're going to see some of the Quinn's uh, match performance statistics from the, I think the ones we've got from the last Saracens match, which was last weekend, if I'm right. Yes. So just tell us uh, well, how you organise it all and what, uh, what we're going to see. Yeah, well, first of all, the structure of how it works um, from the coaching perspective is right at the top is director of rugby. Um, at Harlequins, it differs from club to club, to club uh, at times, but uh, the director of rugby, he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of selection. He's in charge of recruitment. Um, but he actually does very little, if any, on-field coaching. So the next guy in line is the head coach. He will organise, you know, clearly who is training, you know, get it from the medics who's available to train, um, and also the structure of training with a bit of help from the assistant coaches, of which I am one of them. I am the defence coach. You've got the forwards coach, um, backs coach, um, and the head coach also doubles up as the attack coach as well. So you know, how much time we want over the course of the week will be fed back to him and he'll come up with a structure, and we'll meet every single morning once we finalise numbers um, to discuss exactly how we want training to go. And there'll be a balance to, between making sure we're getting it right and the quality of training, but also the intensity levels that are required as well, because you, know, you, you, can't, you can't have a low week and then go into a game where you're required to you know, run a lot more or make a lot more tackles if we haven't been conditioned to do that. So you know, there's, there's a lot of moving parts with it, and you know, as the season goes on, um, you've got to make sure you get that balance right because I say it's most important that they're fresh mentally and physically. Brilliant. Um, brilliant as well, isn't it, Nick? You've got to, so I know you've got. Um, I think Danny Kerr is off playing for England at the moment, isn't he? And um, uh, some of the other players in your team not around for injury or whatever. So and there's a lot of matches to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of games. Uh, you get to sort of this stage, later stages. A lot of the conditioning and games you're going to make in the gym and stuff like that. That's already been done. It's about maintenance. Um, you know, your sort of rugby fitness and conditioning is up there. Um, but individually, everyone's kept an eye on, you know, we've got these GPS monitors, you know, also they, they count how many tackles, rucks, mauls, scrums they might have been in over the course of a game and in training. That all gets logged as well to make sure that the workload and the volume spot on, not too little, not too much. And going into that, that's what tends to happen. That's why you get injuries in one position. So Danny Care goes away with England, for example, and suddenly you've got you know, your second and third choice nine are actually doing more reps in training than they're used to because Danny Kerr's been doing quite a bit of them and they've been swapping in as well. Um, and it can cause them to break down. And then your fourth and fifth choice come in and it can cause them to break down because suddenly the workload is much greater than they're used to and you're not able to share it. So that's something we've learned in the last couple of years of why you get injuries in the same position. But look, that's the nature of the game. Um, you know, it's nutritional, it's collision sports, and that's what they sign up for, and you've got to take the rough with the smooth. Really interesting. So just talk us through this slide here. So I thought it was quite interesting. When we were chatting over uh, over lunch, it was um, looking at, some, you know, some stats will completely mislead you. And I really like the way that you kind of broke that down and understand, uh, you know, some of the match stats that we see on game days are, are not that relevant in terms of your understanding of whether you're going to win or not, but this is how you do it. So just talk us through um, how you prepare for a match and what it is you're measuring and why. Yes, they could. We call them, as I'm sure a lot of businesses call, key key performance indicators, and they've been around you know, ever since I actually started playing rugby professionally. Um, and, and as you rightly say, you know some of them can be very misleading and not reflective or correlate to actual performance in that area. Um, Mike, the two I use from a defensive point of view. Um, 
uh, tackle effectiveness, which yeah, that sounds obvious. You know, how many collisions are we winning, and you know, are, are we achieving our target? Um, of which for the forwards, I expect eighty percent of tackles to be effective. That's eight out of ten, clearly, and seventy percent for the backs. Uh, there's a bit more space for the backs uh, to defend, so there's a bit of leeway there. Um, and I found. You know, we, we had those same numbers when I was playing and always found that when we nailed that effectiveness, here they come up on screen, when we nail that effectiveness, we win games. Um, but what I brought in as well, which we didn't tend to have at Harlequins, well, we didn't have at Harlequins throughout my time, is is the defensive system errors. Um, and you can see down the you know, sec second from right and column, there's the number of system errors there. And, that's the defensive system I want them to operate in, and that's completely my responsibility to make sure they get that absolutely spot on. So whenever you see those system errors, it's up to me to make sure that that player understands it because sometimes the tackle effectiveness can tell a lie. So you look at um, who we got here, someone like James Lang, at 62%, number 12, 62% effective. He's actually a very, very good collision winner. He wins a lot of collisions. And what can happen is, as we mentioned earlier, if an individual decides to do something off page, it can really stitch him up in terms of what's going on there. And so I have to look also at you know why those tackles are missed. So I'll go through their tackle log, and if it is technical stuff, great, we can work on that, continue that. Um, but if it's due to a system error, um, then you know I'll have to educate the player on you know why he's got to be staying connected or what that error might be. I was interested in that. So just to explain to everybody system errors. This is about um, uh, space, about keeping square. Um, you know, not not getting so running the system and not getting the system wrong during the uh, roll of the play. Yeah, well, I'll just finish off on this tackle effectiveness. As you can see, uh, <laughs> we won the forwards to be eighty percent. They hit seventy nine as a group, right at the bottom. You can see the collective and the backs. I won seventy percent, and they're sixty one. The team seventy five. And 71. So we didn't actually hit it on this occasion, but we did win the game. Um, but that, that, that's why I brought in system errors because it's not completely correlated or um, or completely reflected 100% in what goes on in the game. Um, so the next slide will show you the system errors. And for this, as on the far right in the little box, you can see that the target is under 40. And for this game. Um, per hundred, that's per hundred phases because they differ throughout. So we've got to have consistency. Is we hit 19 system errors per hundred phases, which is the best we've ever done since I've been at the club. So you know, I'm talking about 40 games, 40 odd games since I brought this in, and that is the best by at least 10 um, that we've achieved. So again, you've got to balance up those two KPIs. We weren't far off with the tackle effectiveness, but we absolutely smashed it in terms of system errors and being disciplined and connected in what we're trying to do and everyone buying in and not going off page. And it, all that does is reinforce exactly what I said at the top of the uh, of this broadcast was that, uh, you know, together we're invincible. So guys might make mistakes and miss tackles, but if we're connected, someone's there to back them up. So you can't get bogged down in your own performance. You've got to do what's best for the team. And you can see in this occasion, we absolutely nailed it. So I'm just going to flick back to the uh, to the last one, tackle effectiveness, and just then flick forward to this one as well. I just really love this. So um, you've got a really lovely sort of rag analysed um, set of numbers in the middle. So um, at the end of the game, I know you spent hours watching the game to rate each tackle and look at each of your players and to look at where they've gone off system, etc. But lovely you know, sort of green, amber kind of 
uh, visual, which kind of instantly tells you where you are and where the issues are, and then you've got that extra data behind that to give you the nuance of that. But also, we can kind of see here, you know, uh, the, how it's made up. So we're looking at effective tackles, ineffective tackles, missed tackles, and there is that nuance, which is truth to life. Uh, so you were telling me the other day, like you might have someone who's slightly out of position because of the way the game's rolled, and is um, not matching up against his counterpart, and so therefore you can't really. Uh, you know, he may have taken the guy down, even though he's, you know, a stone lighter or or, or whatever. Um, so it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not a. You've got to watch it and actually understand the the points. But at the end of the day, you get this lovely visual thing. Yeah, and um, yeah, this is all subjective as far as I see it, and I've got to be realistic, as you mentioned. You, if you if you get a big guy in a wide channel against a winger, and he's done as well as he can do to bring him down, although he might lost the game line slightly. Well, I've got to, you know, I've got to understand that's as well as he can do. That that's the best I can ask for. You know, watching that from up top, I'm thinking, my God, he's going to get skinned, or the guy might get an offload away. Um, but what it what it can tell you this is there's tackle completion, which you know some of the some of the listeners might be thinking, well, you know, there's tackle effectiveness, tackle completion, tackle effectiveness, um, as I mentioned, is is what I focus on. Um, the tackle completion is 90%. That's a 90% target throughout for the forwards and back. And if you just look at Elia, Elia, number two, the second guy down, you see his completion is 92%, but his effectiveness is only 58%. So that tells me that actually he's in a position to make a tackle, but his tackle technique's pretty poor. And I, can, and I know, without uh, getting bogged down in it, that it is. So the guy's making his tackles and doing his best to make his tackles, so the attitude to make the tackles there, he just needs work at his technique. And the other thing regards the system errors is, it's you know it, it sounds quite negative, doesn't it? System errors, well, how many errors are you making, right? Yeah, and we have got, we have got a target, keep them down to under forty. But you know, on the right hand column, there's also system wins, and you've gone you know to the, to the next slide. Well, no, it's fine. You can go to the next slide. It's, it's system wins as well, so there are rewards within that. So if you go to the next slide, Nick, and you yep. can see that's you know any turnovers won, impact tackles, any kick pressure applied as well. And again, what was phenomenal about this game is actually we were uh, we nearly had more system wins than system errors when the ratio is usually four to one um, yeah. or four to one and a half uh, when you play a game. So that was a pretty phenomenal outcome. Oh, I love it. I think it's uh, it's um, um, two really simple measures. We know how they're made up. Uh, you can identify specifics to take back for feedback for quality improvement effectively. Uh, and the summary gives you a quick visual um, which shows you how they went. This is like a this is one of the top matches in the season, isn't it? This is a tough Premiership gig to go and play the Saracens uh, and come out and come away with some points. So fantastic stuff. Um, uh, just on that, then. So um, just tell us a little bit about how you. So, you know, the the analogy here for business is like planning the next production round or planning the next order deliveries or planning the next projects out. But what's your what's your tip as a coach for uh, for that weekly game plan for the team? Yeah, so we're we're playing Exeter this weekend, and yesterday um, we we split up basically. In the, there's three aspects to the game that we'll feed back to um, to the group, and we'll have certain players within that group. So we, we you know we would like to empower players um, to understand it. As I mentioned, you know they've got to be on page. They've got to know exactly what's required. So. We'll do our analysis on Exeter, and we'll feed back in three different areas: attack, defence, and uh, game management. I.e., you know, um, the territory battle, the kicking game. And there'll be about two or three points on each, um, with video clips, which were fed back by uh, you know, a representative of each group, 
um, in that strategy group. There's five, so I'll, I'll have five players in my defence group. There'll be five in the attack, five in the kicking um, group. And one of them will feed back each week. And that will provide a tip sheet, and there'll be two or three points on each of them. But then overall, we'll like to keep it to a maximum three, ideally one, but probably two in terms of, right, the clear messages about what encompasses um, uh, all of that. So, for example, attack. You know, we want to play with plenty of width this weekend, for example, and we want to fill the field defensively. Sounds obvious every single week, but I'll just use that as an example. I'm not saying that's what we're going to do, but um, the message, well, that's the same as attack, the same as defence. So on message um, would just be filling the field, making sure we get our width and filling the field. So guys have just got to be thinking, well, are we filling the field? Am I getting my spacing right in both attack and defence? Because it's very important just to keep it simple and have a maximum of two messages I feel because we go back to that under the in the pressure cooker under pressure um, you know guys just got to be thinking about one or two things max um, and are you executing it are you doing your job as far as that's concerned because it gets pretty heated out there and there'll be moments this weekend when it does there's literally too much for people to think about in the unfolding moment when they're under pressure and so in terms of instructions for that one play you've got to keep it keep it tight keep it really simple and memorable just things that they've one or two things that they've just got to keep in mind for this particular play. Uh, yeah, and, and, things, and things can change, Nick. So I go back to the point I made about when I was a senior player and our senior players call the group in every 10 minutes about how things are going. So, you know, we use that example. We might have said, right, let's spread. Let's make sure we fill the field in attack. Well, they could be completely nullifying our attack. So it might be, okay, well, we've got to narrow it up a little bit. We've got to get through the guts. And that'll be up to the senior players. We'll, we'll try and radio down some messages as well from from uh, from the coaching gantry. But those messages have got to go on. So the message will be, right, every time we get a ball now, we're going to go through the guts. We're going to target this defender, that defender. And that'll be the message for the next 10 minutes. And I think it's really important that what we found is you break the game up into 10 minutes, 10 minute sections. Because things change, perceptions change. It might be something to do with how the referees refereeing the breakdown, for example. And right, you know, everything else stays exactly the same. We've got to make sure this is what we're doing at the breakdown um, to get our rewards, to get quicker ball, or to prevent them getting quick ball, whatever it might be. So, again, it goes back to you know my love of the game and how multi-layered and, and, and fascinating it can become. It's great stuff. I'm um, mindful of time and just wanting to push forward to uh, to wrap up. And just a couple of comments from me. So, those of you who've listened to uh, us um, um, broadcasting before, other other business leaders, just wanted to pick up on some resonances here. So, if you go and look on our uh, past events site, you can listen to uh, Professor David Dunaway's interview. Um, just there at the top of that slide, one of his key points. You know that that point's coming through from Nick as well about practicing and continually. Uh, continually innovating so make sure you've got all those basic things that you've got to get done right in business perfect and that is a lot more practice and training needed than most businesses do in my experience uh, in order for people to become very very good at something then that training needs to be in there at that intensity level uh, in order to generate that additional capacity capability and then the other one I think which really resonates with this is um, Peter Callahan uh, so one of the first webinars that we did and he talks about business being like baking a cake. You need the right ingredients and you need the right process. And once you've got that quality of ingredients and process, then repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. And I think that comes through really strongly. Also here in the sort of broad and evolving context of top level sports that 
fundamentally it's down to getting the process right, having a high quality process, measuring that, and once you've got that under control, then you should win and the stats should run in your favour, depending on the strength of the competition. So really interesting resonances. And just before we get to questions, I just wanted to pick up on this chat. So we were chatting about every now and then there's a player who makes it to the highest possible level. And what makes that difference in a player that perhaps gets to, you know, their, their premiership contract doesn't make it on from there. And some players obviously do. They obviously drive themselves so much further. And you were talking about Jason. So just, um, you know, what is it that makes that difference, Nick? Well, first of all, um, champions, they have an innate desire. They have an innate passion um, of, of where they want to go uh, and motivation. And, and they, they will work hard every single day um, and what they'll work on is perfecting techniques and you, know, you, talk, you talk about practicing but it's, it's got to be the right practice you know, there's no point in practicing poor techniques um, but if you get the right techniques um, it's all about the basics and you can't get away from that you, you know and I've got to be careful as a coach because constantly as a coach you, the challenge is you've got to keep it innovative you've got to keep it fresh for the players you know it can't be like Groundhog Day we're doing the same thing but you can't sacrifice the fundamentals of the game. And Jason Robinson was a classic. Now, a little bit different because he came from another sport in rugby league. But he was known for his running game. He was a wonderful broken field runner. Could create opportunities out of nothing. Beat you in a phone box, so to speak. Um, but things that weren't the glamorous parts of the game. But he knew with the nuts and bolts of his position and absolutely critical to how the team performed were his high ball catching for a guy five foot seven was going to be quite hard when guys were going to contest the high ball against him. So his technique, his timing um, had to be absolutely spot on and how he caught the ball as well. So, you know, narrow the margin for error. And his kicking, which he never did in rugby league, but he had to learn to kick effectively. Now, he was never the greatest kicker, but he learned a uh, he taught himself a technique. Well, he actually didn't see. He learned a technique, the correct technique, to again reduce the margin of error. So... Every single time he kicked the ball, it was very effective for England and for sale. Um, but this guy, he had a mentality that he wanted to be the best. And that was every single day, whether he woke up in the right mood or not. He wanted to be the best and he made sure he practiced the basics, the basics, the basics. And you can't get away from that. Fantastic. So it's uh, that fundamental drive and then repetition around the basics. We were talking about other great sports players who's been like Nick Faldo and what have you. But kind of similar message that comes across, I think, that... Uh, that, that personal commitment to um, being the best that you can be uh, and day in, day out, sort of practicing what are the basics of that, let let's, let me get better at that. Wonderful insight. So I'm just going to wrap up quickly, so conscious of the time, and I'm uh, delighted that you've um, agreed to hang around for questions for a bit. So, um, uh, so, you know, so why do some people make it to the top of the game when others don't? What's the difference? I think that great point about... Uh, that personal commitment to excellence, um, making some, some people stand out uh, from others and uh, that uh, personal drive and attitude being the point of difference. So um, key points for me, um, season of wins is built from process accuracy. Uh, when you set your goals for the period you need to ensure how each key process, needs to, you know, need to know each key process in order to win. Clear out all the other ones, so make sure your processes are relevant and your measures are relevant. Uh, make sure the quality of that process is excellent and then in order to get there you've got to train hard on that process when you're working as a team, you've got to train harder than most people think. Um, and winning a season is built from the accuracy of each process each time it's used. So just questions out to the audience, have you got those two or three simple measures that everyone can understand 
you can break them down and know what they actually mean rather than reading a set of stats and being a bit opaque and not really understanding how they're made up something you can actually understand and work with and making something tangible so questions out to everybody what's the one thing from listening to Nikki's today that you're going to act on from today's workshop what's that one thing um, quick uh, wrap up so come back to the past events page you can see the um, uh, the web location there um, the slides and the audio from Nick's session will be up so you can come back and listen play it to your team members if you want them to pick up on a lesson and motivate them a little bit um, and uh, some of our other past recordings are up there which have been fantastic come back and have a listen to those uh, if you haven't seen them yet um, next time uh, we're going to be um, talking about running the city of London uh, with uh, Neil Redcliffe uh, who's uh, Sheriff of London working at the Old Bailey with the Lord Mayor so that should be really interesting uh, so that's not on December but in uh, January the 18th running the city of London and January the 24th is our next London Leaders Forum subject to match commitments we're hoping that Nick will join us for that um, and we're going to be talking about digging deep when the going gets tough and building that personal and business resilience so if you're interested in finding out more about our next Leaders Forum uh, get in touch and then February the 27th will be our next Executives Forum which is going to be around strategic thinking problem solving and personal goals so hopefully we'll see you for those um, and thank you very much uh, for listening so Nick, if I can throw back um, uh, a couple of good questions to you. So, uh, one of them is about how do you stay consistent um, with that practice uh, while remaining flexible with whatever you know the match throws you away. So, how do you balance up staying consistent? Is it just down to breaking up that uh, the match into the segments? Um, yes, exactly. Uh, as I mentioned, I found that the most in my career, I can tell you, I probably remember about two or three pre-match talks and probably about two or three half-time talks. But the most effective ones I found were when you did just focus on the first 10 minutes of each half um, and, and you gave those clear messages. And as I mentioned, once those senior players are on board, um, the guys making the decisions out there, um, and you are now radio linked in um, to guys who run on the field and, and deliver the water, so any messages can be brought on to help them um, from the coaching staff, is the picture can change. Um, and it's making sure you get your preparation right and your training right as well, because there's no point in practicing um, during the week for one thing, and then you're asking them to change on a weekend, um, and they've never ever practiced it. So it's about throwing up different things. So you could, you know, if you're talking from an attack point of view, you could say, right, I want them really, really tight in defense, see if they, if they can see the picture change to that, you know, and, and you don't tell the don't tell the players. You just see if they see that picture change and whether they actually um, identify it themselves and, and play what they see, and, and vice versa. If they go really wide or if they're shooting out the line, and, um, and you can just change a picture for them to challenge them in training and put them under that pressure in training to be able to see what's happening. And if you don't do that, then you can't expect to get results if things change in a game. I love that. So, um, yeah, actually leaving it to them to work it out for themselves and then commenting. So, rather than tell all the time. And then, I mean, business, we call that kind of scenario planning. So, actually getting the team together to plan around what might be different this time around and see how they cope with it. Uh, so, they work it out for themselves, really, I guess. We've got another great one here from uh, Oliver Everett, which is, um, you know, how do you deal with emerging talent uh, when they think they're bigger than the team? 
Very interesting question. Uh, well, emerging talent is, is quite easy um, because they're not established in the team and you won't get picked and you tell them why they won't get picked. The established talent um, who struggle to break out of old habits, that's what we found really difficult is you get established international players who have been successful in the international stage doing something one way but actually we want them to do it slightly differently without, without taking away what their strengths are as an individual. You've got, you've got to manufacture game plans and, and bring um, you know, certain plays in to suit the players you have. I mean, that's just daft if you don't. Um, but there's certain things, like from a defensive point of view, that everyone's got to be trusting and buying in and um, doing, their, doing their job in terms of the system. Um, and you know, to try and encourage those guys and, and make them see it from a different point of view, I think it's important. So if you have a senior international player, there's no point in me tub thumping and you know forcibly telling him this is how we do things here. You can't be doing things how you did do for your country, your previous club, whatever it might be. It's you know I've got to be very very tactful. I've got to be very very encouraging. You know, get him to see it from my point of view, and that's I think the the ultimate skill in coaching, you know, it's not actually whether you know the technical, tactical stuff, um, to be honest, because a lot of coaches know that, it's how actually you can get deep inside um, the players to either inspire them or change their ways for the good of the team. Fantastic. Great stuff. I think we've got time for one more question. Um, so, um, um, how do you uh, lead a team to adopt what feels like a, a, a new process or habit? Sorry, say that again. How do you? So we were talking. I think uh, this may be resonant to ball watching as opposed to man watching. So how do you how do you get the team to adapt into a different way of being, especially if they um, feel like what they've done in the past has worked? I guess that relates to the last question. But uh, you know, when you're getting the whole group to change system, um, well, it was actually brought about um, from a lot of senior players wanted to do that system, so that made it quite easy. Um, plus, yes, yes, plus. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do it as well. It's um, it makes for a more aggressive defence. It makes for a more dominant defence. Not quite working at the moment, but um, <laughs> we'll get there. And you've got to keep plugging away. Um, you've got to give them a reason why. They've got to understand why, um, which is explained to them, and they all get it. And then you've got to go out there and practice it, um, uh, and then they find out how they're going to do it. Um, and then once they get the rewards, once they see the benefits of it, that's when they build confidence, they build trust, and it becomes autonomous with them. And um, at the moment, um, everyone's fully on board with it. There's no discerning voices or anything, and they get exactly why why it's done. And when you get the rewards, like you do against Saracens, as I mentioned, because the system stuff is outstanding, then all that does is reinforce it and hammer the point home. But it's getting that consistency. It's um, it's getting that consistency and making sure the, the thing is with defence is it doesn't require as much talent as attack. You know, in attack you require the guy with the speed, the footwork, the power, the offloading ability, you know, the ball playing ability, whatever. The defence is more no talent, and it's an attitude thing, and it's about turning up with the right attitude every week. Um, but within that attitude, you have to have a system, and um, you know, as we saw from those stats last week, um, it worked well. I think uh, you you're a guy with plenty of talent. Um, uh, you know, um, quite difficult to take the ball over the try line as number eight, and I think you've um, scored some records there. Um, so um, uh, it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to listen listen to you this morning, uh, Nick. And um, um, thank you very much for giving everybody your time. And um, 
So um, we're going to end, end the webinar now and uh, wish everybody a great day. Come back and look online uh, and you'll find the MP4 file up there shortly. And um, look forward to seeing you on the next Strategy Cafe in January. Thank you very much, Nick.